welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? It's 2016. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, indeed. As of the time that people are listening to this, mm-hmm. it's 2016. I imagine we had a wonderful New Year's Eve. Not together, but we don't tend to hang out on New Year's Eve. Um, or, or ever, really. <laughs> or ever, really. Yeah. Um, we see more than enough of each other uh, doing this podcast. Indeed. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to another great year of uh, of movies. Yeah, sure. What the was hell? 2015 a good year for movies? I think so. I think it was. Will 2016 be a good year? I, I don't know. I really. I'm still so. As you know, right? We because we strand our we stretch our end of the year coverage well into February until the Oscars. Until the Oscars, and that's there are a number of reasons for that. Yeah. One, when we started this podcast, we weren't getting press screenings and stuff, so we needed the time to catch up. Yeah. We still use the time to catch up. Um. Two, I feel like a lot of the listeners are in that boat where they of top ten list, list might mean more to them in in mid February than in yeah. at the end of December because they've had time to catch up on all, all the late re- year uh, glut of releases. Mm-hmm. And number three, uh, we do better numbers when we're doing <laughs> end of the year stuff, so why not stretch it out until the Oscars? You don't need to right? tell people that. And don't <laughs> get me wrong, we have knowing full. You may wonder why is there a, do, a different writer top ten list every week? Why do you do the BPs? Why do you do all? The, it's so that you can just so you can engage with that content. And we get more clicks. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's fun for us to do. But really, this is like, yeah, th- this is the fat time of year for us in terms oh, of yeah. uh, page views and clicks. Because oh, no people question. like uh, like end of the year coverage oh. to extend. Oh, it's harvest. All the way it's to harvest the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's why that's what's going on with me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I had something I could save it. Um, you know, normally we have a little sort of pre. Uh, pre-topic discussion at the top, but we don't normally do that when we have a guest. Right, so, but it's a returning guest. Yeah, so what I'm saying, why, why don't we? Uh, why don't you, we pay some bills? Okay, introduce the guest, and then I'll tell you what's on my mind. Well, and actually, before we pay bills, uh, in the spirit of it being a new year, I wanted to announce to everybody uh, once again. Our Battleship Pretension end of the year survey is up. So please go to battleshippretension.com and click on the survey button on the right side of the page to give us your feedback about 2015. We use your answers to inform our choices about 2016, so please answer as fully as you can. Some people have already been skipping answers. Uh, I consider those people cowards. Uh, not literally, of course. Some people don't want to hurt any writer's feelings, what, undoubtedly. What are those? Uh, so the, the, the things they're skipping are not, are you now or have you ever been a communist? They're not skipping that. Oh, I don't give people the option of skipping that one. I like to know. I like to know who our listeners are. That's question are. number one. Um, and all the other questions are basically just filler, because legally I can't answer i can't ask that question on its own uh but yeah so uh we find it very helpful um it lets us know the type of guests you like uh, the type of episodes you like uh and it's felt it's very helpful for me as well uh, right. for a number of reasons and if but, you do say something shitty about one of our guests or writers no one's gonna see it except for me and Tyler. that's true and, and probably and, not even me and you don't <laughs> that is yes uh no and you don't even give the uh, we don't give the option of saying stuff it's more just right which who's your favorite writer which of your favorite guests that sort of thing so right yeah um and then it's also helpful from a sponsorship standpoint and premium content and that kind of thing so uh so yes thank you very much it costs no it, it costs no money it only takes i don't know 45 seconds to fill right. out so uh, i would really appreciate it as was david as would david i'm sure um okay but as far as paying bills this episode, as always, or at least for a while, is brought to you by Mubi, 
a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Now, real quick, David, mm-hmm. I will say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mubi, unfor- this, this promotion is not happening anymore, but around Christmas time, they gave the option of... Uh, of paying for a year of movie for only thirty bucks, so that was half half price. I took advantage of that just in time because I also recently got an Apple TV, and movie is now on Apple TV. Oh, so man. before this, it was all computers and mobile devices, but now you can actually watch it on your television. I'm very excited about it. So uh, now there's no reason to not get to not subscribe to movie. Yeah, and you here, have to be a fool. You would have to be a damn fool, David, <laughs> especially because uh, available now on movie is Todd Haynes' Velvet Goldmine with Haynes Carroll now in theaters. Check out his cult film, uh, sorry, his cult hit about David Bowie era glam rock. Now, I have not seen this film in, I mean, since it first came out. You've seen it, right? Yeah. Uh, Do you enjoy the film? It's also been like 10 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like that movie a lot. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think I'm officially a Todd Haynes fan, though I have not seen Safe. I've not seen Safe either. I feel Let's bad not, about that. Neither have I. Oh, my oh, gosh. <laughs> so, you know what? I guess we're not fans. Not real fans. Uh, but anyway, so uh, so if you are curious about Mubi listeners, there is also a special offer for you. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. Wow, you wrapped that up a little sooner than uh, I thought sorry. you would. Yeah. I had to finish my drink of water. Um also, I want to tell you guys about tweakedaudio.com. That's where you go for professional quality earbuds uh, in a variety of styles and colors. And when I say professional quality, I mean these things sound terrific. Mm-hmm. I listen to them all the live long day. They I look was at the gym yesterday, David, and I was listening to them and everything. I heard everything. <laughs> I heard it all. <laughs> Only what you wanted to hear. Actually, no. I heard like the thoughts of the other people at the gym. It really <laughs> oh, was Oh, you got disturbing. those tweaked on <laughs> yeah. your earbuds. Um, they, no, they look great and they sound great. Uh, and they're available at a low, low price over at tweakedaudio.com. But if you put in the extra effort and put in the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com. Offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay. All right. Let's introduce our guest. And then you got something to say. Just something I've been thinking about. Okay. Uh, our guest is a returning guest. Uh, one of our... Uh, if we did... Now, we we should add to our year-end coverage our top 10 favorite episodes of the year. Right? Sure. <laughs> that would be fun. Okay. Uh, certainly on that list for me would be the late June episode mm-hmm. we did, checking in at the halfway point on our guest's uh, journey of... Uh, watching only uh, female written and directed films in the year 2015. And now to put a capper on that, now, now that the year is over and it's 2016, right? Uh, <laughs> putting a capper on that and welcoming back Mariah Gates. Hi. 
How are you? I'm good. How was the rest of your year? Uh, it was great. I've, I just watched a movie like right before I got in the car. Yeah. So what was it called? It was good. Meadowland. I don't know it. I've heard of that. So, Reed Morano. She's a cinematographer. This was her first film as a director. It looked good. Um, <laughs> and you know, as, as David mentioned it, it, it actually, I had forgotten. So it's written and directed, not merely well, directed. It, it, I put that at we the beginning of the fact. year, okay, yeah. mostly for the sake of Noir November. Okay. Because Noir November, it was Noir November 6th, and that's the year, month-long celebration of film noir. And I created it, and I couldn't not do Noir November. I was okay. like, how do I get around this? So I added the, the written that's for right. that. And so in, during Noir November... You know, there's only like three Latino films that count as noir, mm-hmm. so you can't do a whole month. So I watched all films written or uh, based on novels written by women okay. for Noir November. Okay. That was pretty much the why only, that was in there, because yeah, yeah, everything, yeah. I, everything I watched otherwise was just directed okay. or co-directed. I see. I see. Yeah. That's right. Now, I want to save that for the topic proper. Indeed. Because I want to run, run by something. Now, I know there's two movies I saw over the past few days that I know you haven't seen. Okay. Based on who directed them. Yes. Uh, I saw The Revenant. Yep. And I saw The Hateful Eight. Okay. And now I have a tendency to uh, not watch trailers. I'm not a trailer guy. Mm-hmm. And then, But usually after I see a movie, I like to go into YouTube and watch the trailer and see, like, how did they sell this? You know, uh, and I noticed something with both of those movies that they both had a teaser trailer and an official trailer. Now, when I think teaser, I think usually that's going to be shorter, right? If you think about like the dark Knight teaser, that was just like the logo and sound Cinderella one. It was a spinning shoe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But these are not the hateful eight and reverent teasers are not that they're full length, like two and a half minute trailers. Yeah. The difference is the teasers give no plot and the trailer, the official trailer is plot heavy. Yeah. Teaser is more about tone. So is that like, if we can make that official, I'm all for it. As a guy who doesn't like trailers, and I know there's a lot of people who complain that trailers give away too much plot. Mm-hmm. Can we just, industry-wide, I don't know if what, what sway uh, <laughs> or what we have here, but we can, like, can we in, like just make that official? Like the teaser is just the plotless one, and it can still be a full-length trailer, and then everyone's happy? So are you saying right? eliminate the plot-heavy trailer, stick only with teasers? No, I'm saying, oh, I guess... I forget that people still watch t- trailers before movies. Yeah. But maybe you only put the teaser in the theater, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. I like that. Re- release the trailer to YouTube and online. Oh, like sure. And, and make yeah. it, make it clear which is which. And so people who want to know about the plot can always track this down and see a professionally made full length trailer. And we'll still have full length trailers that are what, you know, people like us want which are you know giving the tone and some idea of the cinematography and stuff without giving away the plot to such a degree even okay so we're all on board with my i'm idea. on board with it i like it yeah okay but I, I i'll go you one further just eliminate the plot heavy trailer because the thing is this <laughs> so so you okay so you saw the film the revenant and so you went and and i assume you watched the teaser and then the trailer yeah okay. and like full disclosure i had actually watched the teaser before because you and I were on someone's podcast. We had yeah, I believe about? we were on Out Now, yes. Out Now, yeah. So um, that's right. And the thing that gets me, so I, was, uh, I had not seen the full-length trailer until somewhat recently, maybe even just two weeks ago. And what got me as I was watching it, I remember thinking, man, this thing is long, mm-hmm. and they're giving a lot of story. I mean a lot of story. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, like, guys... That teaser was solid. You made your sale for me. 
Right. But yeah. then I re- then I had to remember that not everybody, and I don't mean to say this elitist at all. Not everybody is interested in seeing as many movies as I do. Maybe they don't have the money to see a lot of movies. And so they want, they want to know what they're getting themselves into right. when they go see movies. So maybe that includes story for most people that includes story. And then you um, have like trailers, like for joy where uh-huh. yeah. the trailer has no plot. Right. Because how do you sell a movie about a mop salesperson, like a person who created a mop? Like yeah. inventor stories are always really hard to sell. And then women inventor stories, like no one gives a shit. So sorry, America, but no one gives a shit. So like they just, all they America. did was like mash together a million shots of Jennifer Lawrence being acting, you know, right. and that yeah. was, that was the trailer. And I'm like, what is this movie even about? I watched that trailer so many times because it was in front of all the movies, you know? Yeah. And I was like, what? If I didn't know that this movie was about the inventor of the miracle mop because I work in the industry, I would right. not know what this movie is about. I did not know that's what it was about there when you I went go. to see the movie yesterday. And I was happy I didn't. Not because it would have, I wouldn't have gone, but I was just happy that, like, I don't know where we're going with this. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's about person that made the miracle mob that's fun i didn't even know it was, i don't think i even knew it was based on a true story i, I, I might have forgotten i don't think they really put that in the trailer at hmm. all i didn't know that thing i didn't realize that thing was called a miracle mop yeah but i sure as hell used one a lot when oh I yeah worked. they're great oh yeah when i worked at a, at, a, at a nursing home uh in college and i worked in the kitchen had to mop the kitchen sometimes i we used very those much in the uh, yogurt place i worked at in college yeah. here's here's a fun thing so we've all seen jo- did you see joy no okay of, of course not there is a Oh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, there's a, a scene where you, she gets the inspiration for the miracle mop. She's using regular mop and she has to and she's mopping up, among other things, broken glass. And so she's wringing the mop out and cutting up her hands. And my first thought was I wasn't thinking of the miracle mop, but I just thought like, ah, yeah, I guess mops were different back then. <laughs> and then you see the exact like her thinking eh, the mops right now aren't good i'm gonna do something different and i so we had a similar thought but hers like 30 years before me watching yeah. the movie and hers she followed through on it she didn't just like sigh and go there must be a better way <laughs> like an infomercial exactly. <laughs> and then someone steps in well you know joy <laughs> yeah absolutely so uh okay so we've talked about trailers that's good yeah i like the tone trailer that yeah. for me is but Again, this might sound shitty. For people like us, tone is enough. I don't, I mean, I, stories is interesting to me, characters interesting to me, but if you have a solid tone, I should say this is partially informed by a frustrating series of Facebook comments that I saw in a, in a group that I'm a part of where somebody, where everybody was complaining about Mad Max mm. and everyone was complaining about like no character development, no story. And I love character development. I love story, but I was like, that's not what this movie's about, I, it just, it, it, it just really threw me. And I just th- realized like, yeah, I guess, I guess I do look for different things than certainly the, the, even than I used to. See, this is why I'm not on Facebook. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. I'm on, te- know, technically I have a Facebook. I've been on Facebook for 11 years. Uh-huh. And sometimes I sit and I wonder, what would my life be like if I spent 11 years not on Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you would, you would miss uh, invitations to people's parties. That's, yeah. the, that's yeah. like the, the one reason. So the only reason I had a Facebook 
uh, in my name was because my ex-girlfriend was playing one of those, I don't know, I don't even know, one of those games, mm. right? And she was like, can I make a profile for you just to say you're like on my team or whatever? I don't know how this game worked. That's how my but, dad ended up with a Facebook. <laughs> my mom makes those bit strips comics and all of her, her life is with my dad. And she was uh-huh. like, they're not complete because I can't put your dad in them. And I was like, just make him a Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> now he's addicted to playing those casino games. So uh, <laughs> I find it very helpful to keep to kind of keep my finger on the pulse of people that aren't me and my circle of friends. Yeah. So like old friends so anyway, from ver- the various well, places I've lived. What I'm saying is just to finish my thought, like I started realizing that I was missing people's barbecues and shit because they just would send out a Facebook invite yeah. and just yeah. assume that I like got. So then I would like I asked my ex-girlfriend, I was like, hey, what's the uh, email and password for that thing? And now I have a Facebook, which I mostly just use for to accept events. party invites. Yeah. But yes, no, you're right, Tyler, that that's what Facebook is, quote unquote, good for is mm-hmm. to be outside of your bubble. But I like my self-selected Twitter bubble very much. Yeah, sure. Um uh, you know, because I'm all for the idea of like you should be around people who disagree with you, and I mm-hmm. I do agree with that. But sometimes that's not what I use Twitter for. You know, yeah. So I, I don't. Sometimes I don't want that on Twitter. Like I, there was like there have been like because I follow two main camps: so film Twitter and hockey Twitter. And there have been <laughs> hockey Twitter people who have had political views that I disagree with, and sure. I'd be like, you know what, I. It's what you get for liking hockey. But I'm like, I'm like good for you and everything. But I follow, like, I just want hockey stuff. So I've unfollowed people for their political view views, not because I think less of that person necessarily, depending on what the view is, but because that's not what my Twitter's for. I want to have fun when I'm on Twitter. I I agonize on Facebook. I agonize over the idea of hiding somebody. Yeah. Um, I never unfriend because I still want them to see my. I've had to my hide posts. a few uh, high profile friends if you know what i mean by high profile yeah um <laughs> relatives and um just you know because after a few years it's like i can't see this crap anymore and i love you and i want to see your like family pictures but the rest of it is just too much yeah and i found a lot of it or very very little of it actually has to do with whether i agree or disagree with this person politically or, or spiritually or philosoph- philosophically whatever it usually like trailers, it usually comes down to tone. Like yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. politically right leaning, but I've hidden plenty of people that I theoretically agree with. But it's just like, yeah, I don't like Donald Trump, and I don't care if you think he's the next, the, the second coming. You know what? I'm hiding you. I don't have the energy to get this angry with someone that I theoretically agree with. And then it's this like if you if you strike a very specific tone you're going to be hidden by me my 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 brother apparently unfollowed me on facebook not because he really? doesn't like me but because i post too much he doesn't have oh. very many facebook friends and so his whole feed was like my stuff because i post like 10 times a day sometimes mm-hmm. i don't know and i mean he's like but i go to your profile and check it and make sure i don't miss anything and i'm like okay that's yeah. okay with I, that. that i have yeah. done i've on twitter i've unfollowed people just because they just it sounds terrible because I'm usually interested in what they have to say, but it's just like I, I got to. I guess I just got to start following more people. Yeah, because um, it's just <laughs> this person all the time. Uh, well, let's let's get back toward the the topic. Um, what sort of effect has uh, hashtag a year with women had in your social media life? As long as we're staying on that mm-hmm. uh, on that uh, topic, I've gotten a lot of new followers from it. Mostly people 
looking for a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got linked as a resource on Women in Film Hollywood's or Women in Film Los Angeles's website. They started this initiative in October called 52 Films by Women. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea is that you watch a film a, a week for a year directed by a woman and use the hashtag um, to let people know what you, nice. you're seeing. And they ha- they linked to a couple of like databases of like, here's where you can find films directed by women. And uh, my controversial 103 essential films by women list um, yes. got on, was is listed as a resource. That's controversial because of one jackass. Yes, website, I have. But, I have um, you to thank for putting <laughs> my name in Jeffrey Wells' mouth uh, for the first time ever. Sorry about. That. Oh, okay. I was. I was. I had sorry about that. I'd forgotten why. Uh, <laughs> Why it was controversial. Mm. What was the situation? Uh, Because of the 500 people that I polled, Clueless beat, um, what did it beat? The Hurt Locker or something? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Clueless was number one Mm -hmm. by like two votes. It came down to the last two people who voted. They were tied until I tallied the last two votes. And the last two people had Clueless and not the Hurt Locker, I think is what it was. And, uh, you know... It's. I think it's because people look down on comedy, and that's something that film mm-hmm. struggles with always. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, comedy shouldn't be the number one thing, and it's like, no, a comedy. If it's a really well done comedy, yeah, it's a really well done comedy. And um, Clueless is not just a great film; it's a great cult film now too. So it has really yeah. passionate fans, but it's also a film that I guarantee you is probably playing in a theater somewhere every weekend, hmm. like some rep theater somewhere. Like this summer alone in LA, it played ten different times. Wow! You know? It is a great. So movie. it's a it's a great film, and it's Amy Heckerling, and she's responsible for some of the greatest film comedies of the last thirty years. So, and I've not even are. seen Clueless. Oh, it's so good because it came out at a time. I was in high school, mm-hmm. and I was like, "That's for girl." I probably didn't say <laughs> that's for girls, but, but you were it, it just didn't look like it was for me. Yeah, um, and I just haven't gotten around to it, even though everyone. And this speaks to what you're talking about. Hurt Locker, while I think it is a, a very good, if not great, movie, probably has not shaped as many people as, as Clueless as has. Clueless, yeah. Like, there's an entire generation of, of filmgoers that can reference Clueless and and specific characters, specific phrases. There's a reference to Clueless in Andrea Arnold's Fish Tank, which means the character in Andrea Arnold's Fish Tank has watched Clueless. Uh-huh. Yeah. So... I thought you were about to say, say there's a reference in the Hurt Locker. So the Hurt Locker. Oh, no, right see, that would, be, that would be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. You remember when when, uh, when Guy Pierce gets blown up and he's like way harsh. He's like, as if. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's been good. I, I had one person get really mad at me on Tumblr because I was posting about television and they thought I was spoiling something. And I was not spoiling. I don't, mm. whatever. I was oh. not spoiling. And oh. they were like, you should be, you know, more confident cognizant of your followers because you're a resource for, you know, women in film or whatever. And I was like, I'm glad you see me as a resource, but I'm going to post what I want on my Tumblr. And yeah. if it's... A, I'm glad a, you brought this up because I wasn't going to bring it up. a screenshot from the finale of The Leftovers after the finale from The Leftovers has aired, it's not a spoiler anymore. I'm sorry. And I tagged I it. I agree with you. And also... Like, Furthermore, Ugh. you have po- you've posted screenshots of the leftovers all season long. Yeah, like anyone who follows you should have known. Like, That's well, I haven't it. watched yeah. leftovers yet. See, That's I, one place I, I know I'm going to see screenshots. I used to do that with Boardwalk Empire, and and it had been uh, it's been a while since I'd been watching a show where I was really into it, and it had like something that could, I guess enough people watch it to feel spoiled. So, right. like, I used to get people complaining about Boardwalk Empire 
And it had been a while, but since someone was like, you're spoiling the show. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm back to spoiling shows. Thank you, you, HBO. But it's like it had aired. If you don't want to see screenshots of something that streams online, don't go online until you've seen it. Yeah, I'm I'm very, uh, I, I, I have... I'm trying to think what I'm trying to. What, how, how do I, I have very strict definition of what spoilers is, and it's not uh, doesn't benefit the anti-spoiler crowd. I feel like once something has become publicly available, yeah, then it's on you to avoid it. I, I avoided post, Star Wars uh, spoilers yeah. for eight days. It was not easy, and I did it. I don't post anything until after it's aired. Like, right. you know, and I generally it's not like I posted like someone who died or something. It wasn't even a huge, but it was an image, and so like. You know, but uh, yeah, I know that like TV viewing has changed in the, you know, post whatever binge watching world. I agree, but but I think that puts the onus on the viewer. Yeah, it's not on, it's not on me. I feel like Tyler disagrees with us. No, I'm trying to think, I'm (laughs) trying to think, uh, if anything, the idea of binge watching has actually made it veer very much the other way, Uh, which is to say, it's all about see it right now. And there's not a lot of. Yeah, like emphasis I was, on oh, I'll see it in the next few days you whenever know. whenever Netflix drops a new show I'm like I'm already going to know at least three plot points before I get time to watch the right. whole thing and I've just accepted it speaking of such things so, have you seen any uh, Jessica Jones I haven't yet I'm, I'm about three episodes in and it's very very interesting I've heard, and, I've heard really good things and you know given your uh, you, the, year, the year you've had mm-hmm. uh, oh what a year you've had! Like it's a, like it's a chore. Um, I, it's it fits so well into that's what, what you're I've, talking. That's about. what I've heard. I've I've been meaning to watch it. I'm not a big comic book person, which is why I haven't really watched it. But I'm heard, I'm told it's not really like some of the more like Avengery. Um, I really like what Netflix Marvel, is doing so. with this Marvel stuff, like. Daredevil, yes, you do have. He does put on his suit eventually, um, and yes, Jessica Jones is a superhero, and you were dealing with people with powers and such. But everything is so toned down. Like these are people who, these are not. I'm going to fight aliens. These aren't. I'm going to fight demigods. This is. I'm going to fight the local powerful drug dealer. Mm. You know, everything is much smaller on a much more human level, and because it's TV, you can develop the characters a little bit over the course of the season. Yeah. I really responded to Daredevil. I'm really responding to Jessica Jones. There's a couple things I go, I'm not a huge fan of Kristen Ritter. Um, hmm. I'm not not a fan, but it's, I this, this sounds, this probably sounds terrible, but I have a hard time. They work really hard to make her seem hard boiled, hmm. which is fine. But she's like, yeah, she's also young and gorgeous. And I know you can be young and gorgeous and be hard boiled. But when I think of hard boiled, at the very least, I think of a little bit older. Yeah. Uh, but they, but within a, a few episodes already, they've shown they're like, yeah, she's been through some shit. It's fine. So. I feel like superpowered people always don't show their age as much as the people. Oh, right? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that true? Like in all comic books, like. Yeah, there's really only Wolverine, and even then it's just like, yeah, but he ages slow. So he may be like 100, but he looks like he's 43. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. I'm sorry. I, I got I got off, off track. Well, that, that showrunner is a woman, so mm-hmm. that counts. It's the woman who wrote all of the Twilight movies. I, did, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. She wrote every single Twilight movie. Uh, I haven't seen any Twilight movies. She worked on a few TV shows also, but oh. um, her main like film thing is uh i'm forgetting her name right now um i'm gonna look it is up is it samantha something 
Uh, I might be wrong on this. Sorry, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to even speculate. Yeah, I don't remember. But did um, you? Um, I've seen all the Twilight movies. I saw the first one. <laughs> that one's directed by a woman, Catherine Hardwick. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah there. I mean, I read the books too. They're a mess, but I enjoy them. <laughs> I want to ask you about, uh, I really want to get into the, the movies you saw this year, but I want to ask you about, like, your your purview was movies, and so mm-hmm. you didn't have any restriction on what, the, on what TV yeah, you Yeah, the thing with TV is that most shows have so many different directors mm-hmm. that I would probably just have to not watch television in order to not to stick with it. But most of the shows I watched ended up having a pretty balanced, if not mostly female-directed show seasons anyways. Like, yeah. for example, The Leftovers, two-thirds of the season was directed by Mimi Leader. Hmm. And she was the executive producer. And the basically, the big tonal shift that the second season took, I think, is mostly due to her creative input. Um, so that was a, almost like watching a giant Mimi Leader yeah. movie. Um, I watched Jane the Virgin is mostly directed by women. Uh... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is like oh, half women, half yeah. men. I think what else I watched this year. Did you watch Nashville? No. Um, oh, You're the Worst. Half of that show is written or directed by women. So, Do you ever you have a... Uh, this is my thing. I'm sure You're the Worst is great, but I have a contrarian streak in me hmm. where every person on Twitter seems to think they're the only person watching You're the Worst and they have to evangelize about it. And I'm, I'm kind of sick of it. And so I haven't watched it yet. It's a really small like viewership. But like the people who are into it are like, re- especially the second season. Yeah. It, it was really great. Like, I really loved it. It's my favorite thing I saw last year, TV-wise. Um, and it was, it, like... But I think what it is with the viewers is, like, no one's friends are watching it. So, like, a okay. lot of individual mouthpiece people, yeah. like, on Twitter, are watching it, but they can't get their real-life friends to watch it. Same, I couldn't get anyone to watch it with me. Well, that's how I... Uh, the other thing with <laughs> So, they're like, everyone that, watch it. Uh, you're the worst premiered at the same time as Married, and Married was so great, and I think even fewer people watched that, mm-hmm. hence it's now canceled. Um, so I also had, this is all in my head, my contrarian, like I'm team married as opposed to (laughs) like, there's some reason I can't watch both shows. This is just the way that my brain works. Uh, so, but I will, I'll watch here the worst. It's good. Mariah, I had a question for you, but before I have a question, I have another question. Okay. Uh, yes. Preface (laughs) question. Are Um, you now or have you ever been? Yeah, that is, I forgot to ask at the top (laughs) of the show. Uh, like I said, I'm getting, I'm becoming very right wing. Um, so so you said uh, people see you as a resource now. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel, okay, I recognize this is not like when someone says, I'm not a role model. <laughs> Are you comfortable being seen as a resource on this topic? I think now, yes. Mostly because, uh, I, this is one of the things I had in my notes, I've this year alone, so not counting my previous experience watching films by women, and my previous experience was still a lot, um, probably a lot more than most, because I, I for the last few years I've been seeking out films by women but this year alone i've watched i'm just shy but by the time this and podcast goes up i will have seen over 300 features documentaries and shorts directed by women that oh, i had marvelous. not seen before i did just before i came here i saw 299 so um, i have a few more days i got some varda i need to get in but the point is that i because i spent a whole year seeking them out and seeing mm-hmm. things and and trying not to see too many by the same director so i have um like each month, I tried not to double a director, so I've seen a broad variety as well, and not just like I know all the Varda or you know I know all the Chantal Ackerman or something. Like I know directors people haven't heard of, 
And mm-hmm. um, so in a way, yes, I think I think if people say, hey, I like, you know, Francis Ha, but it's directed by a man. Can you tell me some films that are similar but directed by women? And I, that's a question I actually got. And I okay. I can now say, yes, you should watch X, Y and Z. They're both similar topics. Uh but they're directed by women, and so you can like find a new director that way. So, I also no. think you've been a good resource because you have been obviously you're championing women in film, but you have not been uh, you've been you've still been critical about the movies. Oh, you know, yeah. there have been yeah. movies. There's I think, been a few that I really hated. Well, the last I I haven't actually seen you since Comic Con, I think. Right? Yeah, and in between our previous recording and comic-con you watched and did not like the loneliest planet which i think is an amazing oh my movie. god i hated it so much yeah. <laughs> have you seen, Tyler the loneliest? seen you would love it i think oh, it's god. up your alley uh and i also think it's amazing i really hated that movie what did you hate about the loneliest it, planet i didn't i spent two hours with characters that i didn't know anything about and i didn't care about them and then nothing happens well no one major thing one, happens yes but it's like it's, oh, that movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's so obvious what it's going to be. And then you don't get any of the ramifications of what that one major thing is. I think you totally get the I don't think you do. And I think, uh, and maybe, I think, I, I, I maybe think it's because it's, I am seeing it from Gail Garcia Bernal's character's point of view. I, mm, see, the, I see the changes in him. I think um, if she had turned up the volume on it just a little bit, uh-huh. it would have been successful. But I think because she played it at like a three- <laughs> it just didn't register. I don't That's know. It's my kind of movie. Remind me who who directed it? <gasps> Julia Luktev, is that yeah. her name? Yeah. Um, oh man, it was yeah. pretty though. Yeah, it's a I've really been, pretty film. <laughs> I've been told uh, often by David that I would like it and it just it was one of those movies that was on my radar for a long time and then I just forgot about it even though I do know the major thing that happened. You know what it is? Yeah, I just oh. kind of picked I up on it. I didn't tell you. And it's no, okay. I I don't remember where I heard it, but it sounded very interesting and the idea of oh. Everything after being colored by that one thing. I don't know. It's almost like the, uh, oh my gosh, the uh, Kuleshov, Kuleshov effect. The idea that is every, that everything yeah. is is kind of flat, and then this major thing happens, right. and suddenly, what even though it's just as flat, what you're referring Kuleshov to, effect, is that what I it can't is? remember if that's the name. Do you know what? Uh, it's uh, a, a Russian filmmaker basically took. A one shot of a guy looking off screen. Yes. With very little facial expression. And then would cut it together with different things, like a crying baby yeah. or a bowl of soup. A gun. And, uh, a gun. And, oh, like, I've heard of this. And show yeah. its audiences and ask questions about his performance. And people would read things into the yeah. performance based on what it was. the image was juxtaposed yeah. with. It contextualizes right. his face. But it's uh, the same. Yeah. It was the same shot for everyone. It was just a different. Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering, maybe it's that like it's the tone is flat enough that now that this major thing has happened, even though there's no change in tone, <laughs> you now are reading stuff into the second half. I don't know. I, I'm curious. It's not even the second half. It's literally like a half an hour. Oh, OK. Yeah. I got to see That's this what movie. it really irritated. If it was like halfway point, maybe it would have been a little more interesting because then you could have had mm-hmm. a whole half of a movie where you're like, well, their dynamic changed. But it was like. An hour and a half of nothing, mm-hmm. two seconds, and then a half an hour of still nothing. That's how I felt that movie was. I really didn't like it. <laughs> uh, so okay, I didn't get well, to ask my question, David. I asked my preface question, but oh, I didn't yes. ask oh, my okay. second question. Sorry. Yes, yes. So um, would you say that TV right now, given what you were talking about before, would you say that TV right now is friendlier to the idea of 
female, whether it be showrunner or writers or directors, than film is? I think that it seems that way because there's a lot of high-profile women, but we also have 406 scripted shows this year, and the percentage of those that are written and directed Mm -hmm. and showrun by women is just as bad as as cinema. The numbers are actually just as bad. It's just that women... Are, have been able to get on more high-profile projects, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, but if you, there was a Directors Guild um, a, like poll thing that came out, a poll um, report that yeah. came out that basically showed how women are much like the whole Sundance thing, where to, a man and a woman can have do just as well on Sundance, and the man will get a project and the woman won't. Hmm. Um, women are less likely to uh, move up in directing from being like an assistant director to getting to being a first time director on a TV show. Like they're just like, I think it's like 85% of first time directors on TV shows are still that are being hired are men. Hmm. So it's, it's not much better. Well, that's the thing. You can't, but try, I, you never know when this director is going to go on her period and just completely <laughs> yeah, just blow yeah. the budget on yeah. shoes or whatever. Exactly. So I think, um, but I do think because this year in general has been such a boiling point for people outside of the industry knowing that this is a problem and mm-hmm. and seeking out um, the projects that are made by women, I think the money is going to head that way. And the money is already kind of heading that way. And then once the money starts going one way, then Hollywood will, will follow, which is good. So because, <laughs> you know. Money talks. Yeah. Now, and, and I feel like it's already. Uh, I mean, this happens every few years, or at least once a year. It seems like there's a movie that makes a ton of money that has uh, that's like a female centric story, and then there's eight million think pieces. Like, is this where Hollywood learned the lesson? And then uh, the answer is no. The, the answer is no. But I just uh, just by coincidence because I happened to watch like Star Wars just came out, but I also happened to watch uh, Paul Feig's Spy. Mm, um, yeah. So I watched those like literally a day apart and it felt like, well, these are both movies where, I mean, Star Wars is an ensemble, but the, the Luke Skywalker type character in force awakens is Ray played by Daisy Ridley. Yeah. Um, and spy is obviously a Melissa McCarthy vehicle. These are uh, like essentially female driven stories that are not making any big deal about that. And like, uh, like maybe if I am, if I can be Pollyannish about it, maybe a Turner, a, a Turner, a corner is being turned here. Uh, I, you know, well, fingers crossed. And if anyone in development is, is like reading all the reports, they show that, um, a film that has two or more female leads mm-hmm. is, is more likely to make its money back hmm. than two or more male leads. Also just came out was this, um, Forbes has a list of the most profitable, uh, stars. So basically, what it is is they look at the how much it costs to hire that star, right? How much, and then how much money that film starring them made. And the number one biggest best investment is Chris Evans, which basically means he's not asking enough money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the top ten least profitable stars mm-hmm. were all men, hmm. whereas the top ten most profitable stars, I think it was four or five, were women. Might it be? Is one explanation that there are just fewer pro- fewer projects for them, and so uh, if you if like Melissa McCarthy has like one hit a year yeah. out of the two movies well, she made, I think part of it is that because women 
cost less. Yeah, that's what oh, I was okay. yeah. Because you know, that's come up they, this year. With, they cost uh, less because yeah. they're not getting paid what they're worth, which is kind of a bummer. And also, like, there's a, a lot of men who cough, Johnny Depp, cough, get to make whatever he wants to make and yeah. at whatever budget because they think, and I don't know who they is, but they think he's a, you know, profitable box office star and he's not anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Mordecai, like, lost so much money. Yeah. And uh, same with Bill Murray. He's not a profitable star anymore, which is a bummer. I like Bill Murray, but, like. But when's the last time he tried to be in something profitable? Uh, no, he had a movie came out this year that rocked the Casbah one. That was That's like right. a, that was That's like a right. $40 million movie or something. That's right. Yeah. It made for a great Comic-Con panel. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> were you so there? Probably nothing no, else. I don't know. It was a fun, fun panel. He, no, he's a great he's a great guy, but, like, it's a better investment to put him in Netflix because, like, you right. know, everyone's going to go. Everyone who has Netflix watched that Sofia Coppola, Bill Murray, pretty much everyone. I watched it on Christmas. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. It's I'm good. I mean, it's it's strange, but I enjoyed That's it. But it's like you can put a strange Bill Murray experiment on Netflix and your return on investment is not going to be terrible. You put a strange Bill Murray thing in a thousand screens and you're going to have a lot of empty screens. Yeah. So are we going to have... Uh, are, uh, are we going to have more um, movies with two or more female leads and keep paying women too little? Or are they going to actually pay women the same as men and then the problem will even, <laughs> the disparity will even out? I, I don't know. But I guess we'll, you know, we're going to see like Palfig, like you brought him up earlier, he's one of those directors who really sees that he has a position where he can put women in front mm-hmm. of the camera and he's he's made enough of a impact with his films that he can that's all he does now pretty much mm-hmm. is make films for female comedians because you know someone has to and right. and he does a good job getting great performances out of his leads i think ghostbusters is going to be great i can't wait to see it i'm excited especially after having seen spy which is yeah fantastic. I, I that's one of the films that came out this year that i really wanted to see because i like melissa mccarthy she was on gilmore girls yeah so I like, like you don't have to tell I, me she will always She'll always be Suki. She was also probably... droning Mona all those years ago. She That's right. Very, yeah. very small part where she and Will Ferrell are engaged in some sort of S and M. Strange movie. I love that movie. I love that movie too. You <laughs> might, you and I might be the only ones. Now you say strange in a good way. Uh, yeah. Okay, I remember good. liking it. I all mean, right. I haven't seen it. It's got Casey Affleck in it. Right? Yes, it does. Yeah, I went through a Casey Affleck phase. That's an odd phase. Um, <clears throat> so it's all like Lonesome Jim. Pre, pre, no, pre that, pre. Um, but I did see that pre. Jesse James. It was like 2000 and sometime in early college, 2005, maybe, so what maybe even earlier. So talking about here? Uh, this is like pre-Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, this was like, like, because I had watched... Um, Jerry, I guess? Yeah. That's a good Because I had watched... Um, what's the one with Nicole Kidman? To Die For. To Die For, yeah. and he's in that. And Great I was movie. like, because I was watching Joaquin Phoenix movies. Yeah. The phases, you know how they happen. They like, you start with one, and then you... And then I was like, who is this guy? And then he's Ben Affleck's brother. What? And so I like rented that. I rented Journey Mona. Um, he did this one called Soul Survivors, I think. Oh, yeah. It's, called. it's yeah. like a terrible, <laughs> terrible co- a co- like coma thriller. Okay, I did <laughs> Which not see that. There's clearly not enough of those. Yeah. Uh, Luke Wilson's in that one also. He's in both. He's in the first two American Pie movies, apparently. I have mm-hmm. no recollection of him being in them at all. Wow. He's I'm looking like at the it right older now. brother, I think. Okay. Ocean's oh, 11 okay. and 12. Yeah, he's good in those. He's good in Ocean's 13 also. He wears a mustache. I didn't see that one. His middle name right. is Danger. <laughs> all right. Um, anyways, Casey Affleck. I want to ask. Good times. Um, 
I want to ask what your fit, you know, I, I don't want this just to be about uh, how you were so wrong about the loneliest planet. Um, <laughs> I want to ask what you did like. Um, and I want to say, so what are your favorite films you saw, female directed films you saw this year that weren't from this year? Okay. Uh, well, number one, I probably said this in January. I mean, in June also, because it hasn't changed, is uh, Mansfield Park. Okay. It's yeah, so we good. did talk about that. I've seen that movie probably 15 times this year. Really? <laughs> like, because it's on Netflix, and then I got the DVD so that I don't even have to have my computer plugged in, and I just, I've seen it so many times. It's so good. It's, it's, because I like, I like those, um, sort of period romances. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my favorite movies are period romances, and, and that one's just so sassy, and like, it doesn't, and I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't like it because the ending, I hate the ending and I think she ends up with the wrong dude. But then I read the book and she ends up with the wrong dude in the book also. And it's mostly because Austin was a moralist. Uh-huh. If it was written by Edith Wharton, everyone would have died. That's <laughs> Edith Wharton. I love her because everybody doesn't get what they want and they die in the end of her books. And Austin gives everyone these like happy endings that aren't quite right. Um, but other, other than the ending, it's just, it's just very saucy. It's a saucy movie. Uh, you know who directed that one again uh patricia razima okay she's canadian she has a movie coming out hopefully next year premiered at toronto called into the forest with um uh the girl from juno i'm forgetting her name ellen page ellen page and And um, rachel wood yeah it's like a post-apocalyptic uh teen film kind of not really a teen film but i read the book i read the book it's it's pretty big it's it's basically about how technology is horrible and that we should all live in trees like literally david's looking at his phone right now yeah well the book was really david engage i'm looking looking up into the forest (laughs) i want to look you right in the eye and you're not giving me anything i'm trying to think what else i saw this year that i really 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 loved um Hmm. Dead air. Yeah, I know. I'm, th- I'm thinking, well, like TCM in October did this trailblazing women's uh, hmm. thing where right. every Tuesday and Thursday they showed films directed by women. And a lot of it I had already seen, but I watched a lot of things that I hadn't seen that I'd been wanting to, like um, Portrait of Jason, which is this documentary by Shirley Clark that sort of crosses the line between um, observing and like prodding your subject. Um, and so by the end, you're like, did they like manipulate him into a breakdown? Like, what the fuck? Like, how <laughs> it, uh. But at the same time, it's so fascinating. And the guy is so fascinating. It's literally just him talking for an hour and a half hmm. about his life. Um, and he starts out really happy. And then by the end, you're like, maybe he doesn't like his life. I don't know. Um, it's a really fascinating film. Um, I also saw The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, the animated. Okay. Hmm. It's actually the first animated feature film feature length film not uh snow white but people think it's snow white Hmm. that's the first disney one but this this predates snow white by almost 10 years it's from germany oh wow well how long how long is like it's it's like an hour and a half and it's it's um all hand cut um it's hand cut and cut and then stop motion like with these hand cut paper it's like paper lantern type stuff but animated it's amazing and it's uh, it's based on one of the tales from Arabian Nights. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Really, really good. What? Uh, so, who would you say you're? And let's stick with the the last year and not uh, generally. But um, 
who would you say are the the filmmakers that you came away from that maybe you didn't know about really at all Mm -hmm. uh, or you weren't familiar with at all and you came away from saying like this not only is one of my you know favorite filmmakers of the year but maybe one of my favorite filmmakers ever and i just can't wait to see the next thing they do or or maybe they have passed away i saw a lot more uh mira nair films this year like i'd only seen monsoon wedding i think was maybe it Mm -hmm. and i started the year the first film i watched was mississippi masala Mm because i love denzel washington and um he's he's shirtless a lot in that movie so Uh thank you mira nair (laughs) um but he was great and that was great and i saw um another one that i saw that was one of my favorites was um the namesake i really liked that movie and i really felt like it got it made me uh, like do when it came out i felt so many feelings when it was over i was like sobbing and i was like this is like everything they they crammed 30 years of like growth into this two-hour movie and i think (gasps) to go back to like talking about trailers i think a big part of the movie reason that movie I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it did box office wise, but I think it was sold as a Calpen vehicle, mm-hmm. and it's not like he's no, not it's even really into like Efron Khan. It's all about yeah, him. Yeah, Efron Khan is the mm-hmm. is the star, and I think maybe people just didn't want to go see a a Calpen drama. Yeah, a, a drama starring Kumar. Yeah, uh, but I saw it. I happened to work at the Arclight when that came out, and so I saw it for free probably more than once. And I also <laughs> there was a weird thing where more than once people would come up and ask for a ticket to Namasake. Like they would just see the name on the poster in like a sort of vaguely Asian style like font, yeah. and would That's and would hilarious. ask for tickets. It happened. It was not just one person. More than one so person said Namaste. I also saw her um, uh, Salam Bombay, which was her first feature. That was during the TCM one, and it's kind of a really sad story about like uh, children working in like child workers in Bombay, basically, and. By child workers, it's like kid, kids who work normal jobs and then like child prostitutes and it's a little of everything. Um, and much like um, Slumdog Millionaire, she, she created a f- foundation for the children that worked on the oh, great. Uh, film. And they, she still has this foundation that's running like 30 plus years later that brings children in and sort of teaches them about acting um, and help, helps them maybe learn a skill that will get them off the street, which I think is great. And I watched a bunch of her documentaries because I bought Monsoon Wedding from Criterion when it was on sale mm-hmm. solely because, not, I mean, I love the movie, but also it was such a great deal because it was 50% off and it had seven short films on it. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you got a feature and seven short films and it was like 15 bucks. I'm like, this is, this is a good deal right here. Yeah. Um, and her short films are interesting. She had one on uh, like basically strippers in India who, and it was very feminist. It was very like these women were like, this is this is the only, this way I control my body because otherwise mm-hmm. in in the culture they're like the property of their father or the property of their husband in this way they are no one's property but then they also like see this like the idea that they're being shamed for owning their own body but then they're like these men then go and say they're like you know good husbands but they also come and and watch a strip and so it's like they see the hypocrisy in yeah. it hmm. and so there's these women that just like see the hypocrisy and go with it you know for freedom and it was it was a really great sort of look at uh feminism in india and then i found this website that's just like dedicated to feminist documentaries from india directed by women uh-huh. and there's it's like there's like specific. there's tons of them yeah, and i'm like awesome. how did i this is like a whole subgenre of like indian cinema that i didn't know anything about so um, but a lot of them aren't available in America, which is a bummer. 
Um, before we leave Mira Nair, did you watch or have you seen Vanity Fair? Yeah, as, I, as that's one period, I'd seen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one I'd seen many years ago, and I remember not liking it. See, I remember liking it, but everyone tells me I'm wrong. <laughs> like, it does not have <laughs> a good like, reputation. I feel like I need to rewatch it because I, I watched it under really bad circumstances. It came from Netflix Broken. I supposed okay. to watch it with my friend. So we sent it back, right? And then it came back. This is when Netflix was all discs. Yeah. And it came back and it was broken again. And we were like, what is happening? So, like, people are so angry. People are so copy. angry with Vanity Fair <laughs> that they keep breaking it and sending it back to Netflix. Here's what so, I think your Vanity Fair. So it finally came, like, two months after we have been trying to see it. Um, and we watched it and we were underwhelmed. Well, there's a lot of build up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you... Did you break the disc before you sent it back I, to I did not break it before <laughs> I sent it back. <laughs> I think I'm wrong think. about this. Who directed Amelia? That's her. That's, That's also her. her. Okay. I didn't did see, see that, that one. one? I've, I had heard not great things about it. Um, and I was curious to know, because that's, you know, uh, a, a director that has directed a number of, like, smaller things and then gets, and then directs this Oscar bait type movie yeah. that is then panned for, for whatever reason. So I, I was curious to know yeah, it's how one, that film might fit it's into one I'd like to. It's one I'd like to, like hers is a filmography I'd like to finish now yeah. that I've seen most of it. Um, speaking of filmographies I finished though, I did finish Jane Campion's uh, like feature film filmography. I'm missing a couple of her TV things, mm-hmm. like a TV movie, and I haven't seen Top of the Lake yet. Uh, but I've seen all of her feature films and all of her shorts mm-hmm. um and she's one that i really love i am also a big even, fan i'm trying to like, think I, I might have also seen all of her features, even when she her misfires shorts. her misfires are more fascinating than most people's like okay films you mm-hmm. know what i mean like it's a mess but it's a glorious mess you know which is so much yeah. more interesting than movies that are i think than movies that it's like it it achieved everything it was trying to do. Unfortunately, it was aiming very low and yeah. gives a shit. Yeah. As far as her features go, I have not seen Holy Smoke. That's on Netflix. That's I just watched it yesterday. Seen. It was, it actually takes place um during Christmas, so it was like kind of a perfect uh-huh. They don't min- mention that it's Christmas, but in the yeah. background there's like Christmas ornaments and one of the cars is dressed up like a reindeer cuz I guess that's what they do in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, why is this set during Christmas and we're not even talking about Christmas? This is so um, weird. But now um when I when I contributed to your poll, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I I set a rule for myself of only one film per director, and I nominated In the Cut. Yeah. For Jane Campion. Yeah. How many other? Am it I got, the only person? No, that okay. got, it didn't make it to the top. Obviously, no, I know it did. But yeah. it had it has its it has its uh, fans. My my friend Kristen, you know Kristen. Yes. Um, she thinks it's one of the most interesting neo noirs to come out. Period. Like she would put it in top neo noirs. Yeah. So she's definitely someone I I don't think she had it as her campion pick, but she might have because it seems like the kind of thing yeah that she would do. Um, but multiple people had that as their campion pick. Like Good. I it's the just piano the, is the, yeah the piano and Bright Star yeah. both made it on the list. Um, Bright Star really? Now I haven't seen it, but I, I know that there are people that Bright Star fine. is my like it's in my top five favorite movies ever. Oh wow! I've seen it. So many. I actually have on me right now is a necklace that my friend gave me for Christmas that has a John Keats like <laughs> letter quotation on it because I love Keats. I'm a big Keats fan. So that movie like hits everything because it's about Keats. It's about people who die. It's a period piece. It's by women. It has a great female lead. Like it's got everything. 
and butterflies. Like it's got everything. Oh my gosh. You know, it's definitely a very pretty movie. I don't know. I, I don't think I have the same love for kids that you do. There's a part of me that's like, oh, grow it's, up. It's very, it's <laughs> very much like, cause it's based on his letters and his, in his poetry, it's very much like if you're a Keats fan, this is yeah. this is the movie for you because it's so it's a Keatsian movie. But it's sound very just so like <laughs> it's just so like teenage angsty Sturm and Drang like that's who he was. He was a romantic poet. Yeah. I yeah. like that phrase, David. Well done. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's usually something I don't respond well to. But <laughs> speaking of um, like. Back to you were asking like someone who like filmmakers that are maybe dead that I discovered that right. were great. Um, I saw Wanda, which is by Barbara Loden, and it's the only film she managed to make. She made this one film. She it was sort of kind of dismissed when it came out in the seventies. Came out right, right around the same time as The Godfather, and like you know, no one's everyone's got The Godfather. They're not going to watch this like movie about this spiritually lost woman who leaves her family and wanders in the tech in the like West Virginia you know, countryside. Um, but she was, um, Ilya Kazan's wife, but she didn't use any of her connections with him to make this film Mm -hmm. because she wanted to be an artist in her own right. And I happen to think that perhaps he had a little bit to do with its blacklisting because they, because he, after she died, he was taking a way more credit for this story than there's any way he possibly could have like, cause it was, not autobiographical in the sense of this all happened to her, but it was autobiographical in the sense of this is where she grew up and she know, knew women like this. And this would have been her life if she hadn't gotten out yeah. kind of thing. And there's no way that like Ilya Kazan could have come up with the things that were in this. And she shot it with like four people on the crew, which is like her and a cinematographer and like a sound dude and like one other person. And they, this, this is a really heartbreaking film. Um, and one where you watch it and you're like, I got to see all her films. Oh, I just did see all her films. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> is um, it readily available? It's not. It's a mm. bummer. It's You can watch it on YouTube. But it's not um, not a legal YouTube thing. It's It was restored by UCLA. So there's a restored print. And that's how TCM showed it. Um, and then UCLA just showed it during their Festival of Preservation. But uh, it hasn't been released like by anybody. You know, it feels like a kind of film that Criterion would release. And there's obviously a good 4K master of it, so they could, but it's like, I don't know who has the rights. I don't know. Yeah, I always, there, there are times when, in fact, I'm probably going to say every, probably four times a week, I find myself thinking, man, why am I not an eccentric billionaire? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would it'd be like, hey, that mo- such and such a movie was never released on Blu-ray. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to devote uh, several million dollars to uh, acquiring whatever rights I got to acquire, uh, put together some good special features for it, and just put it out. Yes, I recognize maybe 10 or 15 people will buy it, but I don't care. It's available now. <laughs> so it got re-released in Europe um, because I want to say it was Catherine Deneuve, but it w- I don't think it was. It was one of the, the French actresses from that era was so enthralled with this movie that she... Um, like had it re-released in France in France in the early 2000s and she was just like everyone watch this movie it's great <laughs> and um you, and so then after that that's when UCLA restored it and then it like played a few festivals and things but it's still sort of one of those uh great you know forgotten films um that's one of the things that was great about the TCM programming was they they showed a lot of things that they had a few things to get people get butts in the seats you know and then they had a few things that um 
no one had really heard of to sort of show you that there's all these these filmmakers that you just don't know about. Like, so they showed um, a film I had seen earlier in the year, but I guess the version that was on Netflix had the wrong soundtrack, and the version they played on TCM had the right soundtrack. Hmm. It's called um, Just Another Girl on the IRT. Mm-hmm. And the director's on Twitter. It's the only film she managed to make. She made this one film in the early 90s, and then I guess it was too black and too hmm. female, and she couldn't get, like, if it if she'd been Spike Lee, she could have gotten more stuff made because it has the same sort of energy as Spike Lee, but because she was, like, a woman, those doors that got opened to Spike Lee did not get open to her. And also because it's, I think, that if you have a, a character that's hard to relate to that's a woman, it gets even harsher criticism than if you have a man that's hard to relate to because people are very much used to the anti-hero sort of idea mm-hmm. with men, yeah. but it's much harder when it's like, ugh, I want this bitch to shut up, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and so it Leonard was great. Leonard Maltin says, why right? won't this bitch yeah. shut up? So it was, it was fun to watch that one on TCM because there were all these uh, women, you guys are on film Twitter, so you know that black Twitter is also like a really big right. subset of Twitter. Yeah. So there's like, there's also black film Twitter, which I love to follow those ladies because there's a bunch of ladies that like they tweet about like Ava DuVernay and all these Mm -hmm. filmmakers that I love that like white Twitter tends to not ignore, but not talk about as much as Mm -hmm. like David O. Russell and, you know, Tarantino and whatever. So I follow these ladies and they were all watching this film that they had heard of, but had made some of them had seen it when they were growing up because it was on BET when they were little, but they hadn't seen it in 20 years. And so all these people got together and they were watching it and tweeting about it. And it was, it was really amazing to see, to see this like community of women seeing themselves reflected in this film that, you know, the only other time they'd ever got to see it, it was on BET and not like Turner classic movies, which is like super white, right. You know, official film them. Like this is amazing. They did a whole, a whole night where they had, they had that one. They had, um, daughters of the dust, which was another one that was really fun to watch people tweeting about. Um, and then they ended it with, with Ava DuVernay's middle of nowhere, and um, that's the first time it had aired on anything other than BET also. So it's sort of amazing to see these like filmmakers um, getting kind of getting their due finally. Mm-hmm. Even someone like Ava DuVernay where like uh, she has this great feature came out. I sort of had this great quote where um, I think it was Carrie Mulligan maybe was talking about how Ava, she was talking to Ava DuVernay and she, she and Colin Trevorrow were in Sundance at the same time, mm-hmm. right? They had their movies. She had Middle of Nowhere. He had Safety Not, not Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. They go on all these festivals together, blah, 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 blah. And then Ava's like, yeah, I'm going to get to make Selma. It's great. And then he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a film I'm about to make, too. And it was Jurassic World. And it was yeah. like, here you go. This is like, there it is in a nutshell. <laughs> Although, you know, I mean, it's uh, technically, know. like, in terms of, like, prestige. Yeah, I'm definitely Selma's the prestige <laughs> film, right? <laughs> but it's like... Yeah, I enjoy it. it, They're just like two different types of success, I feel like. Yeah, well, like, for example, he got to go straight from making this little film to making Jurassic World, right? With her, she had three films, Middle Nowhere being number third. She does Selma, and then she's offered Mm -hmm. uh, a thing that she turns down because she's a creative person rather than a moneymaker. No offense, Colin Trevorrow, but oh, plenty of offense. To I mean, offense, um, offense. But you know what I'm saying. You haven't seen Jurassic World, have you? David? No, I haven't. But here's what I'll say about he these. said some bad things. Um, oh, did he? He said some terrible things about women. Women just don't want to make films. Uh, he, yeah, he he had one of those quotes, and right, I'm just yes, like, yes, no, women don't just not want to make films. Yeah, <laughs> like, but here's the thing about because uh, this is always 
we, we this 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 um thing that you're talking about that happens that you know women make these films that are big at Sundance and they don't get to go on and make tentpole films mm-hmm. part of it is because the examples we're talking about in terms of women's films like say obvious child yeah that's an act that's actually a good movie whereas safety not guaranteed though good feels like an audition for her yeah making like it's like, same with like i don't know i haven't seen 500 days of summer but i, I don't know if you know i i don't want to um <laughs> uh, i feel like there are other examples of like Maybe the, maybe part of the reason is that these women keep on insisting and in making good movies. Yeah. And these guys are content to make sort of safe, middle-of-the-road, faux-indie, for-your-parents type of movies. Although one could say... Uh, <laughs> I, I agree with that. be quite as cynical as that, <laughs> that they have a sensibility that is... Whether, whether they decide, I'm going to have this sensibility because it will lead to larger things, or they just naturally gravitate towards that sensibility that will allow them to make larger things. I also think women tend to make these films that are more personal and more like I have to tell this specific story because no one else is doing it. Mm -hmm. Whereas Safety Not Guaranteed and films like that, like there's a lot of those and it's not an urgent like I have to tell this story based on this, you know, ridiculous um, thing about time travel. Like there's a million stories like that. So it's not it's not an urgent need to tell a story, whereas women and minorities tend to make films that are not all of them, but more often are tend to make films that are a specific like thing that hasn't been told before, because if they don't do it, no one will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then it's like the money people look at that and go, "Mm, yeah, but can you put dinosaurs in it? You know, (laughs) it's like, the answer uh, is actually yes. You put dinosaurs in anything. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Like, uh, this Francis Ha is pretty good. But it would be great <laughs> if a dinosaur came in right when she was peeing on the third rail and, like, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then this, uh, <laughs> th- this this thing that keeps happening, this guy who made Cop Car, mm-hmm. which is a just a, it's a fine little, like, it has some moments. It's, and I know you haven't seen Cop Car. No, I know. A, um, lot, of, a lot of dudes really liked that movie, though. It's, it's fine. It's yeah. It's serviceable. That's the perfect word for Cop Car. Is a serviceable movie, and he gets to make the new Spider Man movie before anyone's seen Cop Car. So this idea of the first indie, you know, indie feature in a recognizable genre that does well at Sundance as an audition or like a reel for uh, for a major studio thing, like Cop Car, seems like hopefully the the culmination of that, and we won't. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get away from that. I mean, not that I want this guy's Spider-Man movie to fail necessarily. It will. Or that I want it to succeed necessarily. I don't really care about how his Spider-Man movie does. Spider-Man, you know what? Maybe that's the best thing that could happen for you. That, like, they offer Spider-Man to, like, a female filmmaker. And she says, uh, historically, like, the last few (laughs) years, Spider-Man hasn't been... It's made a lot of money, but nobody has really liked them. I don't want my fingerprints anywhere near that thing. it's sort of like, that's essentially what happened with Ava. They said, you can make Black Panther or um, whatever, is it Ms. Marvel? So the two that they were... Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. And she was like, "Mm, yeah, you're not going to give me enough creative control, so I'm sorry. Yeah. Bye. Good for her. And, And, you know, so like, women like her are finally getting the doors open, but they see that it's actually like sort of a Faustian deal and then she's she's got enough integrity to not 
yeah. sell our soul, and basically. Because I feel <laughs> kind of torn. <laughs> no, absolutely. I feel kind of torn about that, like, in terms of, like, the you know the 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 social justice warrior in me wants to see like I want I want to see more women directing these big budget movies but the cinephile in me is like no like, let her keep making them like, good movies you know for example Ant Man right it was mm. supposed to be um, what's his name I'm just Edgar Wright Edgar Wright right? right and like I'm sure I mean people enjoyed Ant Man but I bet you Edgar Wright's Ant Man would have been a thing of beauty because sure. it's Edgar Wright, but like he, much like Ava, he, he went through the door uh-huh. instead of her where she's at the door. And she's like, mm. he went through the door and then was like, Oh my God, abort, <laughs> abort. And, and left, you know? Yeah. I will and say I did like Peyton Reed's Ant-Man. I thought it was very I good. I thought it was fun. I like Peyton Reed's down with love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing is I, I feel like what, it, when it comes down to her choice, not to may be involved with Marvel really at all is, I feel like that's I'm reluctant to use this word because I feel like I'm not allowed to use it. It's like her choice not to do that is empowering because she could say, well, hey, if if a if a woman, much less a black woman, is allowed by the Hollywood machine to make a Marvel movie, this will make this will be a huge stride for women, for black filmmakers, whatever you want to say. I should do it on that principle, but instead she's like, I'm an artist first. I'm an, I'm an artist maybe even before I'm a woman or a black person. This is what's, and obviously plenty of that will come into my films as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to do that. Like she was thinking more about, I don't know the the movies she wants to make and the type yeah. of she wants no, to do, rather think, than a symbol. I think she's in particular, I'm glad that she's a director that people bring up a lot because mm -hmm. she has, a really great sense of who she is as a person and how that relates to her as a filmmaker. Right. And she specifically says she wants to be called a black woman filmmaker because she is a black woman who makes films and she yeah. takes that, that part of her identity is so important to her and that's what she's going to put in her films. And, and I love that about her because she's not afraid of those labels. She takes those labels and says, yes, this is me and this is what I'm going to do with it. And I think a lot of women filmmakers are afraid of those labels because we've been taught sort of as a society to not think of women as an other. And that we like the whole feminist movement is often shamed by saying, if you want equality, stop saying you're a woman. And it's like, no, until the default is no longer, if, if you don't say woman, the default is man. That's why you say woman, right? Mm. Until that's not the, the default anymore. And, and everything is thought of as, as neutral. You still have to say woman. And I think she sees that. And, uh, I li and I like that. My wife and I were just having a very similar conversation yesterday, and I won't give any Star Wars spoilers, um, but there's a, uh, in the very vague sense, there's a part in Star Wars where a woman is under attack, and mm -hmm. the male character is like, I gotta go help her, and then runs up, and before he gets to her, she's more than able to dispatch of her attackers herself, and it has yeah. this sort of almost comic beat of him being like, oh. And we were talking about, like, is that, like... Is that reaction, is that acknowledgement that they're um, turning this trope on its on, on its ear, is that still necessary? Or at what point does even acknowledging it become patronizing? Mm. It's, it's tough. Like this is, <laughs> yeah. it's ex sometimes it's exhausting uh, <laughs> trying to, which is why ultimately, I don't know. It's, I'm reluctant to say what I'm about to say because I'm not sure how much I actually believe it. Um, so I'll <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll workshop this. <laughs> okay. um, you know, it's after a while, 
because clearly J.J. Abrams, I mean, he's made statements about this. Like he wanted a strong female lead or a co-lead or whatever you want to say. And he and he underlines that in a lot of ways, sometimes in, in something like that. And then also there's a moment where you think the male lead is stepping up to be the hero. And then it turns out, oh, shoot, that's not the case. It's in fact this uh, it's the female. And I oh, right, right, right. I yeah. feel like that's vague enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Everyone except you has seen this film. Um, But like, uh, so he's consciously doing that. So I think it's perfectly okay to talk about the film on that level. But I feel like when when we start talking about uh, any film about what it is trying to achieve socially, how well it's succeeding at that, it's hard to know do we do we base our definition of the film's success in general on that and then but then we start to get almost meta about it and start to be like well hang on a minute now so what does success even mean because <laughs> and then eventually it becomes so tiresome and this is something that happens you know i've i've talked about it nauseam on the sh- on the show i talked about it last week uh sorry two weeks ago um you know that's when you start to, if I'm, you start to, and I think I actually talked about this the last time you were here, start to delve into the world of Christian film where it's all about no one is telling this story, yeah. so we're going to tell this story, uh, whether it's a story that needs to be told or can be told well or subtly is not the point <laughs> at the moment. It's we want to tell this story, and then success is purely measured by what beats did you hit in the story from a spiritual or philosophical standpoint? And then, and I've gotten in arguments with people a lot, uh, online, which I should probably stop. Um, in which I try to make the artistic argument that like, yes, they did this, but also what about the execution? And then the person says, but nobody else is doing this. And can't that be enough? Yeah. And, and I, just, it's exhausting. I think, to think this. I think that, with both Christian films and because it's such a small but upcoming niche Boom. and films by women that at, 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 at some level, just that the story is being told is enough. But at another level, it's it should be we should be critical of that, which is mm-hmm. what you're doing. You're saying, look, they're making this, but here's how they need to do it better. Right. Right. And that's what I was doing. Like you were saying, I if I see a film and it's shit, yeah. I'm not going to be like, yes, it's by a woman. It's great. It's more like it's by a woman and that's great, but it's shit. <laughs> you know, so like part of the argument with this 103 films thing, and this wasn't on the, the list, but it was like on a, where I posted it and I got into this argument with someone else who's a prominent lady film blogger who was mad about the clueless thing because it's not an important film. Quote, let's put quotes mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. I would argue that it is an important film. Yeah. But she, she, so then I was like, are, basically are you saying like the only films by women we should talk about are prestige films? And, and she didn't quite admit that, but that's kind of where she was going. And I was like, I, I don't agree with that. I think that's why I saw everything this year. I saw the, the sort of big arty films and the foreign films and the documentaries, but I also saw a bunch of really shitty direct to DVD movies yeah. because and I and including Mariah Carey's Christmas special which was really <laughs> bad but but it's it's important that like the thing so Mariah Carey's Christmas special it's it's bad it's not well made mm-hmm. but what was interesting about it was that there were only two male characters in the whole thing 
practically. And, and this is on the Hallmark channel where it's mostly like white dudes, a lot of white uh-huh. dudes or like a lot of white women. And there were, the cast was diverse and there was mostly, it was a fo- focusing on women. And it was like, this is a shitty movie, but it's a step in the right direction because it's focusing on women and women of color living in Ohio instead of just a bunch of white people living in Ohio. And so it's like a given a take where you need, you need the vo- the voices out there and you need them telling these different stories, but you also need to try to eventually elevate to like the stories and good technique. It's like this idea that it's a step in the right direction, but there is a step two, yes. which is it needs to be good. It needs as to be well. good. Yeah. And I wonder if, uh, again, this is you know, battling my being a cinephile first yeah. or a social justice warrior first. Yeah. Um, is step one, maybe it needs to be good. Uh, but this will get us into <laughs> what I wanted to, t- uh, and, uh, we should start thinking about wrapping up soon, but I'm having a really good time. So I don't in, wanna, in the spirit of um, that, so you guys keep yeah. talking. I'll be right. Back. Okay. Um, I want to ask you about, since it's been half a year, I want to mm-hmm. ask you about your highlights, uh, for the back half of 2015. Uh, but I want to get into that with, I think at the time that we did, um, uh, the last episode, one of your most anticipated movies for the rest of the year, um, and maybe I was also quite looking forward to not quite as much, uh, was suffragette. Yes. And I ended up being very disappointed in that. Movie. I, I really liked it. It didn't end up being my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even, it's in my top 10, I think, but it's not in my top five. Um, I liked what it was. I really liked what it was trying to do. And I liked the performances. I think where it faltered was, and then that's where a lot of the online backlash was, that it was very focused on a specific um, idea of what feminism is that is very sort of dated. In, in and, what way? Um, where it was very much like the her her struggle as as a as an individual like what a white white person and i know right. that like class in england is very different than class in america but at the same time england if you're they kind of put all of all of feminism on the shoulders of this one character and i don't quite think that was the right i know that they called it suffragette because it was about this one suffragette but i don't think that was quite the right way to tackle the subject yeah and i definitely in talking with people afterwards um i I don't think their marketing was very good. Yeah. And I think it was very aimed at like a like third wave feminism as opposed to whatever we're in now, which is not quite third wave anymore, where we're a lot more all encompassing of like intersectional feminism. Uh-huh. And so they're aiming it at young younger people without realizing that they've completely isolated a good chunk of the women who would want to see it. Yeah. And and so then there's all this backlashing and that wasn't good, but the, the, the film just tried really hard. I think and maybe is, a little too hard. This is like what I'm talking about, though, in terms of priorities, because I feel like your critique of the movie is coming from a feminist first yeah. place. And I'm saying I don't even I can't even really get into suffragettes feminism because I think it's just a bloodless movie that makes a mistake of focusing on the least character, least interesting character in the entire movie. Like literally everyone that is around her is a more dynamic character than she is. And so, because I found myself so bored by the movie, I, mean, I can't even I get think, into the feminist. I think that, I think that was the, the problem was that they had this great idea of showing how, fem- how feminism is important. And by doing that, they tried to have like a, uh, what do they call it? A 
an audience surrogate? Yeah, a, surrogate character. Sur- yeah. And in doing that, making this like composite, they took away all of the interesting things that when you have an individual, an actual individual, you have. Right. I think that was sort of a, a mistake. I went to a Q&A where the writer talked about this and they went through lots of drafts and some, you know, and some of them they focused on real people and some of them they had all these other characters and, and I feel like it's one of those cases where they just whittled maybe too much, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure somewhere in there they had like, cause like the hour, which is also Abby Morgan, the hour is one of the like most feminist things I've ever seen. It's this great TV show that was on BBC for two seasons. Okay. It's freaking great but they had is three, that with dominic west to see yeah in that? they had three women characters so you got to see all these different facets of what they were exploring in that specific time in england and it got to, you got to see it through the three different characters and that really worked because you didn't have to put it all on one character whereas in this one they tried to put it all really on this one character and it didn't right didn't quite work well um Let's get into something we agree on. You're wearing a, your Mustang I'm wearing t-shirt. my Mustang shirt, yes. Um, um, I thought Mustang was fantastic. Mustang I'm was you did so too. good. She, so the woman who directed it was super pregnant while she was making it. Really? I know we were making a joke earlier about like showrunners on their, on their period or whatever. <laughs> this, is not, this is like the epitome of that. Like the reason, one of the main reasons a lot of times women are like, and I don't even know why men think this, like because... I'm sure a lot of men are like married to their pregnant wives and see their pregnant wives doing lots of things. But somehow the idea that like, if you're pregnant, you're going to fuck up the movie. Right. It's just (laughs) such a huge shadow that's like following women filmmakers. And then you get this Mustang movie that is so good. And she was super pregnant the whole time. I just get this image of, of like a really good dramatic take is happening. And then the director's like, sorry guys, I've got a craving. I need, I need a donut with some cream cheese on it or something and some some nachos. Yeah. See, that's what, that's what they think is going to happen. And it's like, no, you know, like women have been pregnant for all eternity. Right. And we used to be like an aggregarian society where women were out in the fields, like, doing their shit right and they would literally have the baby and then throw them on their back and keep going because otherwise you die right because someone's got to get the the food in right so the thought that like women being pregnant are gonna impede them being able to do jobs that don't include like physically cutting down food is like just preposterous. My wife is a uh, wedding photographer, and so she knows. Uh, and there's a lot of we- a lot of wedding photographers are women, and so she knows uh, a number of them that are mothers now, and they continue to do that. Like we know somebody back in Chicago who was shooting a wedding, and it's it's a surprisingly physical job. Like you gotta, yeah. you have to run sometimes. You got to like squat down and stuff. You have to be in in, in very good shape, and uh, and she was doing it like. Nine months pregnant. She was shooting a wedding, I think, two days before she went into labor. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and just, and was shooting like, I think, once or twice a week up until that point. Yeah. Well, there was like that Grammy performance maybe three years ago where MIA Mm -hmm. literally had the baby the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, that baby performed at the Grammys, right? That was like seven years ago. Was it really? No. I feel old. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just remember that being such an amazing moment where I'm like, see, like, women can literally do anything, including when they're pregnant, unless it's like a high risk pregnancy. Like that happens. Sure. High risk pregnancies are rare. Pregnancies mm. where you have to be bedridden are rare. So this right. idea that like that's going to derail 
the film production is just ridiculous. And then you have Mustang, back to actual filmmaking. Um, this is just this amazing piece of cinema that's like all women practically yeah. and all amazing women. And, and the, the little girl, the youngest, yeah. that actress, like I hope, you know, they were all, I think, um, what do they call it? Unprofe- non-professional actors. Right. I hope she goes on and becomes like yeah. an actress and like goes to France and makes lots of movies because yeah. she's so good and she has a natural like fiery presence. And they were all there at, AF, at the AFI Fest. Well, I saw it at yeah. AFI Fest. And because of my very strict policy of I don't stay for Q&As, I didn't <laughs> see that. Um, it's always a good policy. I saw them at the beginning. The director introduced the film and brought out the, the girl. I don't know if all five of them were there, but whatever. Whichever of the actresses were there mm-hmm. brought them out to say hi. That was, uh, if I stayed for a and a maybe I would have liked to stay for that one. <laughs> I, I can't. Yeah, q especially in LA, they tend to yeah. be really insufferable. Yeah. 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 I feel like we've talked about this to death, but it is yeah. like, because it's someone, uh, usually the person asking the question is going to be an aspiring actor or writer who is trying to get themselves noticed. You mean like yeah. the person in the audience? Because sometimes, yeah, yeah. The, often the moderator is uh, pretty tough too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't need to tell my. Uh, I'll save the uh, retelling the Jared Leto <laughs> story. Yeah. The last Q and A I think I stayed for. No, that's not true. Uh, but one of the 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 one that sealed the I'm not staying for yeah. Q and As anymore was the Dallas Buyers Club Q and A a couple years ago. But where Jared Leto went from, some, from being insufferable to it almost being kind of hilarious to me yeah. how incredibly pompous he is. Like it's his life is a performance piece, right? Uh, he, and he's great in that movie. I don't want to take that away from him, but it was. It was hilarious. I'll tell the story again someday. I'm sure I've told them the podcast before. It'd be um, nice if during a and a literally every question was the person comes, comes up and says, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. that last guy, I want to piggyback on something. He said, uh, what about me though? Not him. Yeah. What about me? Well, um, <laughs> speaking of what about me, I, well, I want to ask you, yes. uh, what some of your favorite films from well, this set, my, since you've been on the, I have my like top five and, and I okay. hope I get to, I hope I've seen enough to chime so, in here. That's, so that's the, what about me part? All of them I saw after my top five, I, all of them I saw after I recorded last time, except for number one, which surprisingly has been my number one film all year. Like I saw it January 19th uh-huh. and when it was over, I was like, I think I just saw my favorite movie of the year. Uh-huh. And it's it's the second week of January. What's happening? Um, because it was an, it was supposed to be like an end of year last year thing, and then it got they just dumped it in January. And okay. it's like, what are you doing? Um, should I go in reverse order? Uh, sure. Five, yeah, five okay. to one. I like Let's do it. Now yeah. you're you're really now, teasing that. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Well, I saw um, I believe in unicorns, which was based on a short. Um, the director is Leah Meyerhoff, and it was based on a short that she made when she was in film school. And then it took her like eight years to get funding to make this feature. And it's shot on 16 millimeter and has um, pieces of stop motion in it mm-hmm. with, with the unicorns. Um, but it's about a teenage girl whose mom has MS and she just cannot deal anymore. And so she gets in this like really um, inappropriate relationship with a slightly older guy. He's probably like 19. And they go on like a, a somewhat violent road trip and then she realizes that she's made a mistake and as most you know teenage girls do in their first bad boy romance Uh except that they are generally not on a road trip in the middle of nowhere (laughs) was the mistake that it turned out she just had a cold (laughs) yeah no um but then so that one's really about like the tumultuousness of being like a 16 year old and just wanting to hit the road and maybe realizing that there's a reason we generally don't do that. 
Um, but it had a very strong point of view. And I think she's a filmmaker that um, she's one of the film fatales, which is this like collective of women filmmakers in New York okay. that like they get together and they like workshop their films together. Um, Eliza Hittman, who did It Felt Like Love last year, okay. was one of those. So they're slowly but surely you know, like pooling resources as a collective of, of artists to get their films out there, um, get them made, get them, you know, financed to get uh, distribution, right. things like that. They're good. So that, that one, was, that's number five. Uh, number four was Advantageous, which is on Netflix. And I think it had like a one week uh, release and then they just, they put it on Netflix and it's uh, by a Korean American woman named Jack, um, Jennifer Fang. And it stars Jacqueline Kim, who's been on like every TV show ever. If you Google Jacqueline Kim, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, her." She's a, she's like a that guy, but like right. a Korean American woman. Um, she's fantastic, and it's like set in the um, not too distant future, where the joblessness rate has gotten so bad that like men run around the street like dangerously un- underemployed, and so mm. everyone stays home all the time because it's not safe to really go out. And it's and she, she works, the main character, she works at, like, she's the face of this this um, company, but she's getting older, and they want to get, like, a new face that's young. And then she, because it's sci-fi, she has to make a decision to maybe still be the face, but not really, mm-hmm. so that she can keep her daughter in good schools to keep her out of the street, basically. Right. And it's sort of about the, like, both ageism and the, the sacrifices that women make for their family. All put into this nice, like sci- sci-fi um, dystopic package. It was nominated for the John Cassavetes Under Five Hundred Thousand oh, oh, okay. Award at the Indie Spirits. It's probably not going to win, but you know, it's it's a great film. It's on Netflix, so you can watch it. Like I think actually most of these films are on Netflix. Then this is controversial, but I really loved Angelina Jolie's By the Sea. I saw it twice because it was going to get pulled out of theaters. Yeah. So I was like, I will see it until it's not in theaters anymore. And then it was like not in theaters the next day. I haven't watched it yet. I've, well, it's not in theaters anymore. So, yeah. Guys, I have a screener. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's fascinating. I think a lot of the reviews were focusing on Angelina and Brad Pitt being like a married couple and is this like a mirror to their married marriage or whatever. And it's one, no. Mm-hmm. Like just like none of the... General Lynn's Cassavetes films were really a mirror for their relationship. They were artists making yeah. art. Right. Yes. They, they have the ability to pretend. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that, but it's also not really a film about marriage. It is, it is a little bit, but it's mostly a focus on the Angelina Jolie character and her inability to mourn. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna tell you what she's mourning, but it's her inability to mourn and her inability to move on. And it really focuses on, that and because it's set in the seventies, when um, through the seventies and eighties, really, if women were sad, they were given um, Valium, right. and that was about it. Mm-hmm. Until you know, it wasn't until the last few years where therapy and other ways of like dealing with you know grief no. beyond Valium uh, <laughs> were a thing. So it's really her sort of looking at like not to discount Valium, but to, yeah, but it's there's steps looking, beyond that. her looking at the past <laughs> and, and looking at how much better it is now for people in this situation. So, but it's also um, kind of a perverse look at, at, um, 
everyone's obsession at, at looking at people mm-hmm. because there's the, another layer in it is, is Melanie Laurent is a newlywed and they are obsessed with watching this newlywed couple. And so you get this layer of like the perverse delight of looking at somebody else when they don't know you're looking, which mm-hmm. is sort of like celebrities being photographed by paparazzi. And so that whole layer to it is really fascinating because they're like the most photographed couple Right. In the world. And so if you look at it that way, it's like, oh. But also, you know, like Angelina Jolie is a woman who used to run around carrying Billy Bob Thornton's blood yeah. around her neck, right? So she's a little she's a little fucked up, right? <laughs> and this movie, as beautiful as it is, this movie is really perverse. And in really, really little ways that I thought was like that little like fucked up goth girl that she used to be is still there. She's yeah. just a more glamorous <laughs> version of that now. So I don't know. I don't know why people didn't like it. I look forward to seeing it. But it's it's great. And then obviously Mustang we just talked about. Yeah. That's a great sort of uh companion I think kind of to Vir- the Virgin Suicides but in a more upbeat sort of way. It's yeah. it's it's as brutal as that film is, but it's coming from like the Virgin Suicides comes from a very like uh we can't escape sort of Right feeling whereas mustang is like we were going to do everything we can to escape whether it works or not kind of way and so it's like half glass empty half glass full and also i think people forget that the virgin suicides is actually told from the neighbor boys yeah well because it was and it was written by a man yeah um um but it has been uh for me and for anyone else who has written or talked about mustang it is impossible to not mention the virgin suicides no and and there's a few there's a few visual cues that are like match for match the same sort of shot because I think the Virgin Suicides is one of the really early sort of art non-comedy art films about teenage girls made by a woman Mm -hmm. it's one of the first and a lot of films since then have sort of used it as a template which is not necessarily a bad thing because I think um sleepovers and and that kind of like sororal like cuddling is something teenage girls do yeah having been a teenage girl i can tell you we spent a lot of time on the floor in blankets watching johnny depp movies <laughs> so that's you know it's sort of a like, Mor- like, like mordecai and stuff yes yeah. you think is yeah. that what teenage girls today are watching <laughs> God, I, to watch God help them. <laughs> um i don't know just keep watching crybaby and you're good <laughs> there you go but um so i thought i just thought, I just thought it was a lovely film i saw a lot of films this year by women about teenage girls i actually made a movie list movie um i have a lot of lists on movie um (laughs) i made a movie list that's called uh teenage girls directed by women and it's all as it sounds teenage girls directed (laughs) by women and um there's about 40 films on there now that i added to this list um there's some there's some good stuff there's some good stuff and i feel like i like when women do films about teenage girls because they tend to be more accurate about like both the sweet things that teenage girls do, but also the like vicious things that teenage girls do. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, speaking of that, it's not on my top five, but it's in my top 10 is Melanie Laurent's breathe, which really gets to the viciousness of teenage girls. Like that was too close to home. And a few scenes where I was like, Oh my God, I've been there. I've witnessed that. I've been on the bad side of this. So um, that's a great film. If you haven't seen breathe. Now, if I've done my math correctly, yes, we are now your number one. We are number one. What do we got? It's appropriate behavior. Okay, yes. By Desiree yes, that's Akhavan. Right. Yeah, I love that film. I rewatched it recently just to make sure that it was like number one still. Because yeah. I was like, oh, I watched it so long ago. And it holds up. It like it gets better. 
on rewatching. It's so good. And it's so like, it's such a personal film. And I like it when I like it when filmmakers are able to make something that is just you watch it and you feel like you've learned a little bit about them as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that but that did um, listeners, longtime listeners I might remember our Sundance episode, not this year, but Sundance 2014 yeah. is where it premiered. Yeah, Matt, our, our Sundance correspondent, Matt Warren, uh, was also a big fan. Mm-hmm. And um, I always remember he got uh I think he got like retweeted by the official Twitter account because he referred to the film as Francis Shaw. <laughs> it's an Iranian American. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. Oh, so it's just so good. And so like, you don't see bisexuality in films often, especially from like a female point of view, which is nice. Um, you also don't see like, a lot of Persian American women making films. And there are a lot of Persian American women, especially like of this, this generation where their parents came during the revolution. Mm-hmm. And these, these kids are now coming of age and they're all in their like twenties and thirties now. And so like, um, girl walks home alone at night. That's yeah. another one. So my, my friend is a uh, Persian American. She's a cinematographer at AFI right now. And she, I can't wait till she starts making movies. Cause yeah. she's, she's got such a great point of view. Um, and it's just a whole aspect of like American immigrant culture that we haven't seen a lot of, which is great. This whole year has been, there's been a lot of great like second generation immigrant stories. Yeah. Like master of none had that great episode and I still haven't watched it. It's good. Um, it's just, it's nice to see like a different perspective on America. Cause we're like the whole, when I was a kid, like the whole thing about America was that we were a melting pot. Right. And then I got older and it was like, but we're like a white chocolate melting pot. This is stupid. <laughs> like, what happened to the melting pot? Yeah. I want to see everything. So it's nice to see like with, especially with like the rise of VOD, we've, we've really gotten to see a lot more films that um, are from a different point of view. Yeah. Um, well, this has been great. Um, I, uh, I, I guess you're not doing this again for 2016 because you probably have no. some catching up to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to catch up on too many 2015 releases. There's a few. Uh, the first thing I'm going to watch is Paddington. Like, Damn right, I've, Paddington. I've been planning. Pa- I've been wanting to watch Paddington since before this project started. Yeah. It was supposed to come out last year, and it yeah. didn't, and I'm really pissed. So Padding- yeah, I remember Paddington. The last time you were on, I, I saved that question for off mic because I didn't think it was you know, appropriate for the topic we were talking about, <laughs> but I asked, what are you dying yeah. to Yeah, once you get Paddington. past this phase, I assume you're going to get back to the real movies, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was trying to avoid. Yeah. Um, no, I really want to see Paddington. That's and, my second favorite movie of the year. And I have can't wait to see it. I love huh. it and then i'm looking forward to hopefully mad max going back in theaters for like it's awards consideration yeah. okay because i want to see that on the big screen yeah um, um and then everything else that i missed i'm like mm, i'll get to it maybe it's not, not carol uh yeah i kind of want to see carol i do like todd haynes um, i saw i saw room room is really good that I one that one a lot that one was the kind of movie that i probably would have made myself seen mm-hmm. in previous years and then left it going oh so I was surprised. I mean, I, I figured it was my kind of movie, but mm-hmm. I was also kind of reluctant to see it. Um, but I was really surprised by how much I, I liked it, partially because of the perspective it's actually from, as That's opposed good. to the one that the, the trailers make it make look it like. Look it's like. From. Okay. But here's okay. Cause I'm looking at like a list of 2015 movies um, that I liked. Here's the, okay. Next time you're on. Okay. Right. So we, we don't, we won't be talking about a year with women. 
our topic should be movies about women made by men. Damn right. Mm. I, I want to talk about it. <laughs> because I'm looking at Mistress America, Tangerine, Queen of Earth. Like these are all yeah, movies I really, really like. I really want to see Tangerine. It's on Netflix, so that will be an yeah. easy one to yeah. catch up on. Um, but I would just love to get your your perspective on those on those movies. So that's it's set. Whenever you're on again, like the, it stinks. That's, that's no. our topic. <laughs> yes. I, was, I was going to suggest that not necessarily, not even necessarily for me. Uh, movies about women made by men, but like movies that could be considered feminist made by men. I feel mm-hmm. like that would be particularly interesting, but I'm not saying that that's, that's officially what we'll talk I'm, about. I've we heard like it. last, last, this last year, whatever, 2015, two of the most feminist films from all my feminist friends that they were like, Oh, you missed it, but you can catch up is, is Mad Max and magic Mike. Those huh. two movies, everyone I know who's like staunch feminist, they were like, dude, Mariah, you wouldn't think it, but they're so feminist. I'm like, ah, how? So I'm oh, magic Mike. I mean, Mad Max looks, you know, it's got Furiosa. So it seems pretty obvious, yeah. but like what I've heard about magic Mike, the new magic Mike, I'm like, this sounds like everything I want in a movie. <laughs> and, but I can't see it. So, but I yeah. have that one. That one, that's one I'm going to catch up on one. Having on seen also. Mad Max, I can see what they're talking about because it is not merely the Charlize Theron character. It is also, once again, the role that Mad Max plays. It might be called Mad Max, mm-hmm. but he's more of an entry point than anything else. Yeah. And he's kind of, he's a facilitator, but he is not the visionary. He's not the initiator or anything like that. That all is the Charlize Theron character. Mm. And so if there are victories to be had, he has some of them, but they're mostly hers. And it's it's really interesting on, on that level. That like, I can't think of the last time that the titular character of a movie is so passive. Hmm. I don't know. It's I'm looking, it's I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah. Well, next time you're on, we'll talk about it. Um, thank you so much for coming back. This thank was you a lot for of having fun. me. I um, love, I love talking movies. You guys uh, at home, you can find us at battleship That's where you find all of our movie reviews and all of our top 10 lists between now and, uh, you know, the next, no, over coming. the next like six weeks. <laughs> um, that's at battleshipretention.com. You can uh, email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Uh, you can follow Tyler at Tyler Pretension. Uh, you have, now I guess your Survivor podcast is uh, on hiatus because yes. Survivor is on hiatus. It is either on hiatus or over. We're not sure yet. Okay. Uh, but you still have more than one lesson. What's going on in more than one lesson? Uh, this is, uh, you know what? I'm not actually sure, to be honest with you. Um, I think. Um, yeah, I'm not. I, I actually don't know. We're recording okay. this far enough in advance that I'm not sure. Uh, same with mine. I have a podcast called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. It's about television. I don't know what we're next talking about because we took Christmas week off um, and we're recording this so far in advance. So I don't know what to say. But that's what you should check out. More than one lesson than Hey, Watch This. But more importantly, you should check out Mariah on the Internet. Where can people do that? Uh, on Twitter, it's Old Films Flickr. But Flickr all the way spelled out, not like Flickr, the photo sharing thing people get that wrong all the time um or wouldn't have occurred to me yeah or oldfilmsflicker.com that's my tumblr where i spoil the leftovers and no i don't spoil the leftovers i promise and then uh cinema-fanatic.com which is my blog where i've been um doing like the movie quote of the day from all the films by women and my like monthly wrap-ups uh, and yeah, your Tumblr. And also, oh yeah, YouTube. Um, I review everything that I watch uh, with a YouTube video, and that's coffee and movies. And that's all, those are also on your Tumblr. Uh, right? uh, yeah, it's on the it's on the Cinema Fanatic. Like there's a okay. there's a main Cinema Dash Fanatic slash Year with Women, and there's um, all the like like it's like the hub page where you can find everything 
where I've, you know, like I've um, curated everything I've watched on, on movie. Um, so you can find a nice list on how I've like rated everything on movie. I like movie better than Letterboxd. I know a lot of people track what they're watching on Letterboxd, but mm-hmm. it's dark and I hate how dark that website is. And movie is, <laughs> movie, they're all, literally the whole reason is movie is really pretty. It's white and green and I go on there and it's like, oh. I the website itself is a dark. work of art, is what you're it's, saying. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. It's, it's one of the most aesthetically pleasing websites out there. And that's why I've been using it for so long. Um, um, and also, they let you add movies. So the people at Movie probably they keep looking at my account and they're like, "Why is she adding all these weird films that no one else has watched?" And it's like because I need it for my Year with Women right. thing. I've added a bunch of films in the last uh, few years that have all. I haven't added Mariah Carey's film yet because I'm afraid they're gonna re- reject it. Because um, everything else I'm just I've added, your account. Well, everything else I've added, like they have like a list of like, you know. Why isn't this on there? Can you add it? And it's like if it's if it fits X, Y, and Z, they'll, they'll add it, right? But it's like, are, are they going to be like Mariah Carey's Christmas movie? I don't know if we need this in our database, <laughs> you know. But it does have an IMDb page, so. You well, know, I wanted see. to say before I wrapped up that I started following your Tumblr after the last time you were on, and it has oh. it has become top three favorite Tumblrs. I, I like my Tumblr a lot. I've had yeah. it for seven years. It's let me run down my top three Tumblrs: Art of Swords, which okay. is. Uh, beautiful close-ups and descriptions of historical swords and daggers. Nice. I forgot about that. Firebird Man, where a guy takes a picture of a classic car once a day and writes a haiku about it. Hmm. And you. Oh, well, top three you. tumblers. Are there any? Uh, are there any hockey? I'm sure there's hockey tumblers. Right? There probably. Are. I don't really follow hockey. I I, I compartmentalize my. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, uh, tumblers about swords and classic cars and old movies and poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Alright, uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.